everyone. I'm Jen, and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. On this week's episode, I'll be airing part one of a conversation that should be kind of obvious from the title of this episode. Eek! A man! <laughs> now, this week I do have Dennis with me. We did talk for about two hours, so I'm actually airing the first hour of the conversation today, and then next week, what's that? It's going to happen, like back to back yeah the next week i'm going to air the remainder of the conversation which is a lot more lighthearted than what we cover in part one so just some general content warnings for this episode we will be talking a little bit about some abuse emotional you know physical sexual assault things like that it's not a main feature of the episode we don't get into any details it is just you know, mentioned here and there. We're talking about accountability in the latter part of the interview. Just want to get that out there, just so you know. <laughs> so, without further ado, here's part one of Eek a Man with Dennis. Today on Monogamish Pod, I have a man with me. And I know what you guys are thinking, Jen, is this some random person that you're sleeping with? Absolutely not. We have never had sex. We've also never met in person. I guess digital sex could be a thing, but that's not what's going on between me and this man, okay? Like we are just having a very wholesome conversation about polyamory. That's where we're coming from here. It sounds like I'm defending this a bit too much. So let's just lean in on the surprise. It's a guy, <laughs> one of like less than 10 that I've had on the podcast before. Anyway, here's Dennis. Yeah, I'm done being awkward now. How are y'all doing today? All right. Thanks for having me, Jen. It's been a pleasure. We have, you know, been in so many intersecting online circles and I love, you know, being able to contribute and such. And I was like, maybe I can come here and represent just for the regular men on the streets because you have a lot of wonderful guests, some who I know personally, and a lot of them are in kink here and there or such. And I was like, let me just pull up here just for the regular. You have all the supermens and superwomen. I'm like, let me pull up as Clark Kent and see, see where it goes from there. Isn't Clark Kent Superman just with glasses? Jimmy Olsen is a better reference. So he's all around Jimmy. Superman, but he's a human. You know, the dude always takes the pictures. The, and the picture dude. Okay, there yeah. we go. So, Dennis, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about you? Early to mid-40s. I'm going to leave it at, like, at that because some of y'all might be taking out these details and won't steal my identity. Location, Atlanta, Georgia with, I hear there's a whole crap load of non-monogamous folks out here. Dennis is hilarious. He's acting like you don't know these people. I'm like, did I not see you in photos with our mutual friends at their party? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> the good old six degrees of separation, poly style. Someone actually <laughs> should play that game. If you sit down and put six random poly folks together who are in the neighboring states, I'm sure you'll find you have a partner in common. Yes. It's always great when you get, this is also another term that's become so cliched, like-minded individuals. Oh gosh. I, I actually, that turn turns me off completely when I see it. I'm like, what does that mean? Like the sapiosexual trend from a couple of years ago, which I see is making a resurgence, which really mm -hmm. annoys me on a different level. It's like, what does that mean exactly? What, what exactly are you attracted to? What is like-minded? I need to know. I tend to ask a lot more questions and it makes them upset. No, but that's how you should navigate stuff. Always ask the question because one of my big things is I'm a big believer in narrowing down your whys. So for example, if someone says they want to be rich, I'll ask them, why do you want to be rich? Then they'll say, oh, so I can buy anything I want. Then I'm like, do you really have to buy everything? Then they'll be like, no. Then I'll be like, is it more of you were at a point where you could not buy certain things and now you just want that ability to be able to buy things whenever you want? Then they'll say yes. And I'm like, you might not just want to be rich. You might just need to have some disposable income. Sometimes there's so much trauma and background stuff tied to money, which we have. Yeah. And sometimes giving you more money won't address it. But if you address, you know, the cause of why you feel lacking and you feel like buying more things will fill it. So being rich isn't the problem. Yeah. I, being rich is not the problem, but having a lot of money does make you sleep better at night sometimes. No, I agree. <laughs> so. I agree. No, one of the things with having lots of money is it gives you time. Like the older I get, one of the most precious things for me is time. 
because even with people who I get to know and date, I tell them at this point in, in my life, I don't mind if you mess around with my money because I can make more money. I don't care if you mess around with my physical stuff because I can buy more stuff in most cases. But it is a sticking point to me when you disrespect my time. Like I'm the kind of person, I'll stop talking to you if you stand me up like twice because I can't get that hour or two back that I was waiting for that I set aside for you. Very true. Very true. That time point is really important, especially in polyamory, right? Like when you're practicing non-monogamous <laughs> encounters, whether it's polyamory, actually anything on that spectrum, time is even more of a finite resource. Like you have no idea how you're going to find the time to engage in certain activities or with certain people. And if you're someone who is, for example, married with kids, that automatically limits the time that you have. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to have three other partners, for example. How do you manage your time with your household, <laughs> your children, and your three partners who may also have other partners that they also need to manage mm -hmm. their time and coordination with? How do you plan things like vacations? True. That is true. That is definitely a big thing, time, because being as someone who's solo poly and I also don't have kids, I don't have a nesting partner or such. I do have a regular job and all of that. Time really isn't the biggest sticking point for me. So that's one of the plus things on my side. So. Okay. Gotcha. So you said you're solo poly. So did you cycle through quote unquote cycle through other forms of polyamory before you settled on solo? Or did you start out knowing that you were always going to be solo poly? I kind of like more cycle through, but not too many. Over time, I've just seen what works for me and what doesn't, what modes of relationship works for me and what doesn't. So it's something I try and communicate to people early on when I'm trying to get to know them, because I'll be like, yeah, I'm not trying to be a primary partner. And I've been in that space and I'm like, no, thank you. And that's why I, I actually have a bias towards dating people already partnered. Really? So all yes. of your current partners are already partnered? My current partner, I have like a LDR, is that she was partnered when we started dating. It's easier to assess someone when you see how they navigate their current relationship versus you all starting from scratch and then you get with someone and you see a whole new side of them of how they react to having a meta or something like that. So by them be already being partnered, I can see how they move in their current relationships and such. But with Polly, it does get tricky because I've been in those spaces where you get with someone when they're partnered and when they part with their partner, then they don't consciously seek out another partner. And, you know, you're not trying to be, it kind of looks like an asshole when you're like, so when are you going to get another girlfriend or boyfriend? I can't imagine phrasing it that way, going off really well with a lot of people. I suffer from enough cases of foot and mouth. So it's just, let me find a way to navigate this in a way that just doesn't sound like me being a jerk. Because what does happen, you know, when you date someone who's partnered and then they're no longer, no longer partnered is that a lot of times they have that gap and that extra time. And then, and then they start focusing it on you. And then you, you don't want to be that jerk of, yeah, I'd rather not see so much of you. I, I can definitely see that. And it's natural in a way, like once one relationship ends, if you have other relationships, you usually tend to feed that energy back into exactly. them. And so if you only have one other partner, yeah, that does track. I can definitely see that happening. So solo poly for you, what, how would you just define, describe your version of solo poly? I know the general is I'm my own primary partner. I'm not anyone else's primary partner, but some solo poly people have different definitions. So how does well, it, yeah, it is pretty close to that uh, textbook version, but also I'm not trying to get on the escalator relationship escalator at any way, shape and form. And yes, I prefer being my primary partner. So it, it also means that somehow I have to navigate things differently because I also realize that you might say you're not someone's primary partner, but then there's a certain kind of energy and time you give. So I also consciously regulate the time and energy and such, because you know how like in, in monogamous relationships, people are told, don't be a girlfriend, but put in wife work. So yeah, no, I, I do not believe in putting in wife work for anybody except for myself. Yeah. So that is true. Okay. So we can kind of see where you're coming from there. And how long would you say you've been practicing polyamory specifically? Okay. So practicing actively, I would say I had a couple of years in college and then from 2013 onwards. So that's like what, 11, 12 years or such. And 
the interesting thing with it is that sometimes for me, it's more of a way of thinking than dating. Sometimes it's just like, I'm not dating actively, but I'll still relate with folks and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how yeah. folks gauge that because do you gauge it in actual dating years, how many active relationship or just your mindset and how you've been growing and all that kind of stuff? It is a great thought point because a lot of people do believe that polyamory and non-monogamy in general is only based on action. You have to actively be doing the thing to be the thing. And while I understand the merits of some of that thinking and that how can you know what kind of partner you are if you've never been a partner? you know, mm -hmm. kind of vibes. Like I understand that there is some level of practice that must occur, but as someone, you know, say you are polyamorous, you identify as a polyamorous person. That is a part of your identity. And just like how exactly. being bisexual or being pansexual for me, doesn't go away. If I'm not actively in queer relationships, it doesn't mean that you are not polyamorous. If you're not actively in a polyamorous relationship at them. Yep. That, that's very true because I feel a lot of it is also a mindset is that yes, the relationship date part is that, but there are a lot of people in the poly communities who is just they're monkey branching from relationship to a relationship, but they don't take the time to grow, educate themselves and evolve because it always makes me smile when I see people who I've known for, you know, almost 10 years. And I can see, remember how they came into poly, you know, that full we date as a unit, OPP, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I'm saying, okay, y'all have these separate relationships. You're only going to have some little kitchen table poly going on. I'm proud of y'all. But as we all know, there's some people who are super rigid and we've been searching for our wife for the last 15 years. Where is our wife? So, you know, you'll, you, you'll also get that. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, if after 15 years, you still haven't found your shared wife, what does that tell you people? Like, let's unpack that for a minute. Is it the many failed wives who are the problem or is there a common denominator we need to be looking at? And I talked to Shanae actually about this. This was off air. So it didn't end up on any podcast episode. We were just like texting and chatting on FaceTime. But one of the things that she said was like, there comes a point when you are practicing polyamory where you realize and understand why you are the problem <laughs> mm -hmm. and move forward from there. And I was like, that is so freaking true because my moment was, you know, within this couple of years of time period, it's like, why is this, why did this not work? Why is this not working the way that, you know, I want it to work? Oh shit. I'm the fucked up one here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> why am I, why am I this person? Okay. I understand. You kind of have to really be mm -hmm. intimately aware of yourself to be polyamorous and have good relationships. I will say it that way. <laughs> that is very true because one thing that's become big for me and I'll be, I've really focused on, on it like the last uh, six or so months a bit is the concept of self accountability and, you know, self-awareness, because what happens that a lot of people we will say one thing and we pretty much lie to the other person and also lie to ourselves because people say, oh, I have the emotional bandwidth to manage three relationships and you'll tell your partners that, but once push comes to shove and life starts happening is you don't have it. You don't know how to do it. You're jacking it up. And then when people tell you, people get mad because. I've been in those situations where it's just, these are the agreements we made. And we had this conversation earlier on, but just the way you're doing stuff is completely contrary and they take it personal. It's, so yes, people, a lot of people don't have that, what do you call self-awareness is that much as a, because in our internal dialogue, sometimes not stuff that we like to hear. Like at one point in time, I had to admit to myself that, yeah, I've been a shitty hinge partner. So. And then I had to work on myself and that. So it's because the interesting thing is that if you ever talk to different women that are, have dated me, one thing they'll, because actually some of them have actually talked to each other and they were like, wait, what? Dennis said, what? He did this. He never used to do that for me, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, after that relationship went south and I put my ego aside and I was like, yeah, I could have done better in this and this. Yeah. And you're not 
gonna of course in people's minds who you may have harmed even if in small ways or you know not appreciated in certain ways they will always see you as this person who has done that unless they actively see the growth and they see the changes that you've put in place and a part of them will also feel a little resentful because that That didn't happen for them and as someone who has felt those feelings before it's kind of like yeah i can see that that's a true thing because everyone's the hero of their own story, which means you're the villain of someone else's story. Exactly. I can definitely see why they would be pissed off and such, but also we have to look at it somehow in with certain relationships when you've been with people is there's just so much, I'll say, I don't like passing the word trauma because it's also become so cliche, but there's been so much strife and rancor where it's just, even though you're learning those things and such, just that energy or such between you makes it hard for you to show up that way or in that new way, or even if you show up in that new way, they were so used to you showing up in that negative way that they'll find a way to bring it back or make it reoccur or such, because they're still mm-hmm. maybe in that cycle, which you both created, but you know, you're trying to move past it. Cause I did have that happen once with someone where they pretty much told me that, oh, I see how you show up for these other potentials, blah, 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 but you don't show up that way for me. It was kind of hard for me to find a good way of saying is that due to our history and the way things you've done, I find it hard to show up that way for you because of that energy and history and what is that, you know, in an ideal situation, we wish we were a blank slate where it's just like, okay, this is a new day. We're starting from scratch. No, unfortunately, those wounds and what still remain. Yes, absolutely. There are two people in the relationship and both of you have to commit to showing up a certain kind of way to make it work. And that's just the facts. Yeah, that's why I'm very big on relationship check-ins, which is like, let's have this blank slate of time where Seth said, you have any concerns? How do you feel that we are going so far versus what where we started at and such? And let folks talk objectively. So Sometimes you might hear things you don't want to hear that won't make you happy, but I always tell folks, I would rather have a short-term unpleasant truth than a long-term pleasant lie. Yeah, absolutely. Don't lie to me. It, no, it, it's better to just be upfront because those things fester. <laughs> it festers. Exactly. It's always there in the undercurrent and it colors how you interact with each other. So see you guys, Dennis is dropping some heavy relationship gems mm-hmm. right now. Hope y'all are paying attention trial and error. I mean, that's really the best that we can do, right? No one is born perfect knowing anything. Exactly. We got it. We got to learn as we go along. So of course, it just requires that continued personal effort. And, and this is not true just for polyamorous relationships, just to clarify for people who are monogamous and listening, you can do this in your relationship too. Yep. Life in general. Okay. So you have been doing polyamory consistently now since about 2013. What Mm. about when you were younger? Like when you were baby Dennis, (laughs) were you exposed Mm -hmm. to non-monogamy or polyamory growing up? Yes, because actually I wasn't born in the States. I grew up in Kenya. My grandfather was a polygamous. I had a polygamous uncles and such. So it was normal when I was growing up where it's just like these folks have wife number one, two, three, like I actually saw it in practice. So monogamy wasn't the default. And add to the fact that also growing up in Africa is that you can marry four wives as long as you can keep them and maintain them. So I also had Muslim neighbors who had multiple wives. So it wasn't something that was pretty much unknown to me. What was a bit kind of, you know, educational is coming stateside and women also having more of their agency in regards to that. Yeah, gotcha. Because there is no, was it polyandry, which is when a woman has multiple husbands. There are a few African tribes, which actually the women can have more than one husband, but that's a very small minority. Yeah. Okay. So what did you want to be polygamous when you were younger? That is probably like my real question here. Is that something that you desired to have or aspired to have in any way? No, initially when you look at it, it looks cool when you're teen or something, when you're coming of age and your hormones are burning. But then the older I got and I started looking because the, the people I used to see doing it, and I'm not saying they were doing it perfectly, but they were trying to do it to the spirit of 
the law and part of it was being present for your wife, being a good provider, being a good, you, you also, as a man, you end up being the mediator and basically you have a lot on your shoulders. And of course there's that benefit of you have these wives and you have your legacy being passed by all these offspring you have. But for me, I'm like, eh, just that those benefits are not huge for me. Cause you know, I'm part of the fuck them kids team. So it's just like, why am I having four wives if I'm not trying to have all these kids? And I'm, you know, you can still have all those wives without kids, but just in my way of thinking, it's just, if you're trying to have them and they, you know, have them only, you know, how can I say it? dedicated to you or focused on you and no other external. So there's an extra, at least in my book, cause I'm big on reciprocity. So it's just like, if I'm expecting all these from these women, I should be able to reciprocate. So. You know, some folks do it differently. Some folks are like, Hey, I sit at home and smoke blunts. They go and work and that's how some folks do it, but that's not how I would see it. So that's why it didn't appeal to me because I look at things, how can I say hypothetically. And I look at the nitty gritty of stuff before I think of it, because it's easy. And it's something we're very guilty of as poly folks is we love to look at the bigger flowery picture, but not the small, finer details when things get real. So yeah. Yeah, no, I said, that's why I had to ask because I'm like, you grew up in Kenya and I've never been to Kenya, so I don't know what the standard practice is. So that's why I just, I had to ask the question. So you came to the U.S. when you were in college? Yes, I came for college because most of my immediate family, other than my mom and the older folks, uh, live out here stateside. So I came for college and I've been here since. Okay. And so in college, I know you said that there was some non-monogamy and polyamory happening in college, Mm -hmm. but did you start off monogamously like in your dating career, like in general, I say career, like it's a job, (laughs) like when you started dating, since you kind of already knew like, Hey, I'm not trying to have kids right now. The idea of having four wives just seems like a lot. mm -hmm. Were you doing like monogamous dating, like having like monogamous relationships, girlfriends, whatever. And then as you got to college, you expanded your palette, so to speak. Back home when I was a bit older and started dating is it was still kind of poly in a way, because you know, when you're in a society where it's, you know, unfortunately with a lot of patriarchal societies, where it's just, it's not frowned upon if a dude has more than one woman, as long as it's not bringing crap to your home. So it's just like, so sometimes I date more than one woman and you know, it wouldn't be kitchen table, but they know that there's someone else. So you're going to see this other chicken where so it wouldn't be an issue, but, but I'd also have a whole bunch of monogamous relationship in between because I wasn't doing it consciously and such. So when I got to college and came here, it was primarily monogamous for the most part, because I was also a broke ass college student. I didn't have money for more than one uh, girl. So just, yeah, let's keep this stuff simple. So. Yeah. Who ha- people don't realize the financial investment in having more than one partner, bro, especially with the patriarchal ideas that we have on men. If you're a woman, you know that you really fucking with somebody when you spend money on them. Like every woman knows that they spend money on their man, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and this is of course talking in heterosexual partnerships, right? So there's so many men out there who are just like, oh, women don't spend money. Like they just, they don't spend money on men. They don't, they don't want, they just want men to buy things. And I'm like, so you don't get girls. That's what all I heard you say was that nobody loves you, bro. Because if a woman loves you, she op- she opens the bank book, writes you a blank check, and she's like, whatever you want, baby, I got you. That one, I don't say, I'm not saying that I disagree, but I have a different viewpoint because it depends on the woman themselves. Because I know a lot of women who, even though you're dating long-term, just with their mindset and such, is that they don't spend money on men. And that's their mindset. But their partners are okay with that. That's an agreement they've made. So I'm not talking about it in negative terms. There, there are people who move like that. It's just, they'll appreciate their man in different ways. Maybe they might buy him a little small gift, but he ain't getting no blank check. A lot of people also move when you bring up that point. A lot of men move from a scarcity mindset because I believe is that if you like someone and you want to spend time, then spending money on them shouldn't be an issue. What I believe is spend within your budget because that's why a lot of men get salty. It's just that if you don't have Ruth Chris money, don't be taking women to Ruth Chris on the first date and then feel mad when it doesn't turn into day two or three. Take them to somewhere, Benny Han or somewhere, somewhere which is a bit, you know, the middle and then, but yeah, so that's why that scarcity mindset or even with at least this from my perspective, so you can correct me, but I feel them with women, they, a lot of them have that mindset of 
all these men want to use me for sex, sex, sex. So it's just that it drives a lot of your interactions with men. So it makes it less genuine and such. And sometimes they can see it. And don't get me wrong. There are men out there who just want to use women for sex. But if you're coming from that scarcity mindset and it's driving how you deal with people, that's why a lot of people have those issues. That's why I get so tired, sick and tired of those who pays on the first date question. And I'm not even going to bring out that, what do you bring to the table question? Because that Oh my gosh. Or I'm could, looking to build. I'm looking to oh yeah. build. If I could mute topics from the world, those are certain things I'll be like, yeah, we're tired of hearing that. But yes, so people do need to measure their expectations with their realities. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm tired of, is this a date conversations? And it's like, listen, it can be a date. But it cannot be a, for, for some people, for example, having an indoor picnic at your, the dude's house with movie night on the projectors, snacks and whatever, of course it is a date, but it cannot be a first date if I don't know you, because why would I be going to your house? I think a lot of men aren't viewing it from a point that women view it because we're also thinking about safety, right? Like, how am I supposed to go to your house when I don't know you? And of course, when you're in that situation as well, it's like your continued safety at the event. Like mm -hmm. we, there are a lot of things that women have to consider when it comes to going out with men. And like you said, my mother did raise me to be aware of that, that men will say and do anything to sleep with you. It wasn't like a negative indictment on men, but it was just like, a, this is something you need to know. They will tell you anything. If they really want to sleep with you, they will tell you anything. They will tell you they built a plan. They named a star for you. They flew a rocket ship in space to write your name. Like mm -hmm. they, she says, they will tell you and do anything just for the opportunity. If they think that there's a hint of a chance that you will give up your pussy, they will do anything to get it. That's true because even with folks who like men who I'm trying to make friends with or such, like even when I was in college or growing up is that the most unreliable men and who I would not trust, a man who I like to call Dick Led, where there's a, when there's a whiff of pussy in the air, all your plans are all laid to waste because I'm like, they have a lot of indiscipline and more often than not, it also leaks into other parts of their lives. Because yes, there are a few men who, you know, love sex and are very and driven and what, but they have the discipline to keep it in a certain box. But I'm sure, especially you in your regular transaction, You've encountered men who will holler at anyone, anytime, anywhere, the most inappropriate time. And I'm like, mm -mm. but yes, like you said, the safety factor, like for me, the most interesting thing is me not having grown up in America is that I used to see situations where dudes used to get jacked up, bringing random women home. And, you know, especially when you're growing up somewhere, folks have to hustle and what. So for me, I'm just like, yeah. I mean, you know, if it is someone who I've known for a long time through mutuals or such, and then it's our first date, you know, you've kind of been vetted that way, but, oh, we've just met on Tinder and you want to pull up on the first, no, thank you. So I definitely get that. A lot of American men don't care. So I'm like, hey, some of y'all need to be robbed. So listen, I, I, who was it that said that? I think it was a comedian. She was like, rob these niggas, rob them, <laughs> like, just rob them because then they will stop. They probably won't stop. They'll just be like, oh, these bitches, these bitches out here trying to take a man for everything he's got. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants your monopoly money, bro. Okay. Nobody wants that. But it, it, it does play into a lot of the issues that we see happening in monogamous dating. And also like it translates over into polyamorous exactly. dating and it has to do with upholding a lot of monogamous principles exactly. <laughs> and upholding these heteronormative patriarchal principles in a space that for a lot of people feels a lot more naturally led matriarchally. That is true. That's what, one of the things for me is that if you, you tell me that, oh, a real man or real woman should do, and then the statement following that is something that benefits you. I can't take that seriously. Real women make their men breakfast every day in the morning. Or real women make their man a plate before they make their dad a plate. As oh, yeah. a just like, I'm like, first of all, there's no way I'm making you a plate unless your arms don't work. So maybe you should have a seat because when you think about it also, just based on that perspective, women are making men plates and say they prepared all this food. They're making their man a plate. 
when do the women get to eat? Half the time, every woman I know who's cooked like major meals at the house, had family or whatever, no one's ever been like, hey, baby, let me put a plate aside for you so you can have all the good food. Women are eating the dregs of the buffet after doing all of this serving your man bullshit. I'm a big believer on it going both ways. So it's not all on one person's side. So it's just like, I feel like if, for example, if a woman feels like, you know what, I feel like I should be able to rest at home and the man, you know, goes out there, pays all the bills and do that, such and such, is that it wouldn't be untoward for someone to expect, yeah, if I'm doing that, let me have a nice, peaceful environment to come home to. And speaking from my personal experiences, like I was married once. My wife at that point in time, she was lazy as fuck. So what happened is that I used to work my full time and I also used to come home, do the bulk of the cooking, allow the cleaning, pet care and all that kind of stuff. So she could focus on her little part-time job in grad school. So it got to a point where I was like, damn, I know how these women, are. now I can relate to how women feel because rest assured when you've been at an office like for 10 hours and you're coming to do a housework and such, yeah, fucking doesn't really rank that high. Cause she was like, yeah, let's get it in. I was like, I'm tired. You're always tired. Then I was like, damn, men and women, you know, roles were reversed. Cause I'm sure there are lots of women who have that conversation with their husbands. I was like, yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, your, your boy is more empathetic and can relate now. But yeah. I, I yeah. My thing is also, I have nothing against labor in the home. There are tasks that I enjoy, tasks I do not enjoy. I, li I like washing dishes. I like doing laundry. I hate sweeping and mopping. But like those things, it's just something that I think people... And again, I don't know if you have this culture, like where you're from in Kenya, but like in mm -hmm. Jamaica, we have housekeepers, like we have helpers. Yeah. That's like standard practice. And so... For me, I'm always looking at people like, but why don't you just get a helper? Like, why don't you just get exactly. a housekeeper? And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're already paying for the babysitter. So just pay somebody who also babysits and cleans the house. I don't, I don't understand. But again, I know it's a cultural thing because a lot of Americans did not grow up like that. They grew yeah. up with their mothers doing the bulk of this labor and all that stuff. And there's this idea that to be a real partner in the home, you have to be doing this kind of domestic labor. And I'm just like, how I, I do not enjoy this. Why, if I'm already budgeting for other things, mm -hmm. why don't I just put this in my budget? Even if the helper doesn't come every day, damn, she can come like once or twice a week, yep. <laughs> like do the tasks that you don't really want to do. But it's just, I think it's a cultural difference. Cause I, I do know other, not Kenyans, but like, I know other people like from Ghana, whatever they're like, oh yeah, we had all the time. Like, why don't we have this in the U S and it's, it's, there's a level of embarrassment that comes with it. Like rich people can have housekeepers, but the people who actually need housekeepers don't feel like they're empowered to get them yeah. because they appear less than or unable to manage their household. That is true. Yes. We also grew up with maids. So that labor was cheap. And I'm a big proponent of outsourcing stuff because that extra time and peace of mind you get, it, it, it's worth whatever. 75 or hundred bucks or something you paid for someone to come do the kitchen and the rooms and such. So I definitely believe that. And it's just even with some of these, even with domestic tasks or something, I feel like a lot of folks need to unpack why they feel certain things about certain stuff. Because for me as a man, it's like, I have no problem sweeping, washing dishes, cooking for myself. That's why for me, that's why I'm not pressed to have a nesting partner or something is that. I can do that shit for myself. It might not be as pristine as how some ladies do it, but it is presentable because I've literally had folks, you know, other African dudes come visit and they tell me that, you know, I thought you had a wife and kids because your house is, uh, is in order. You have these things, you have multiple sets of cutlery, this, that, and the third. Meanwhile, you are do other dudes are here living like cavemen. It's like, hey, this should be, you should have more than three plates, sir. Come on. Like you need a minimum four plates to make a set. Everyone knows that. <laughs> like you need minimum four sets of, you need four cups at the very minimum, four cups, four bowls, four plates of different sizes, mind you, because you need the big dinner plates and you need the smaller plates mm -hmm. and you need four sets of knives. You know what? Let's not even dive into it because yeah, there's so yeah. many men out there living exactly. like fucking cavemen exactly. for real. You know, but, 
sorry to throw you men under the bus. We, we need to discuss these things. So. We like I need to have a whole separate conversation, probably like an IG live or something, where I just talk to men about this. I'm like, so how many sets of sheets do you have? Like, how many towels do you have? What does this look like? What's your kitchen setup? What kind of groceries do you buy on a weekly basis? I have so many questions for any man that I date. It's always, oh yeah, so like, what's happening at your house? Like, if I ever go to their place, I never sleep over. I hate sleeping at other people's houses. That's like a weird thing of mine. So I'm that person who's like, I'd rather get an Airbnb or a hotel just because mm. I'm judging you by your bathroom specifically. I need to know about the grout lines. I need to know about, is there a ring around the tub? All those things. I'm, I'm looking at that. And if I see something that I don't like, I will not sleep. <laughs> no, no, I definitely get you on that because I also judge a lot of women based on that. And I also know I'm not even bougie like that when it comes to like hotels that we stay at, things like that. It just has to be nice. It has to be clean. And I have to not feel like my skin's crawling every time I'm mm -hmm. in the space. And so those are things that I vet for once I go to your house. And if I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where I'm going to be comfortable, I'm not even going to try to go to your place. Don't even invite me over because I'm not going to go. Because I already know, like I'm looking around the, <laughs> I'm looking. Like if there is a thick layer of dust on top of every surface, I cannot trust you. Like light layers of dust is fine, especially because we're indoors all the time. AC systems, they, mm -hmm. they, you know, little particles happen. But if I can like drag my finger through a thing and it's like a pile of dust. No, like this is not, like, did you, do you not really live here? Is this like someone else's house that your house sitting at for a couple of weeks? Like what's happening? And it just, it really ties into how I care about cleanliness because it's how I was raised. Like mm -hmm. I, my mother always raised, like we got to shower twice a day. We got to brush our teeth, like minimum twice a day, minimum. Like they, you take toothbrushes to work to brush your teeth after lunch or like school and stuff like that. And so I was raised like in this super clean household, also fairly free with like nudity because being naked was not weird in mm -hmm. my house and things like that. And so when I meet other people, I'm intimately aware that culturally I don't fit because yes, I'm Jamaican and that plays a part. And also like I had a much more detailed upbringing about like cleanliness mm -hmm. and like body positivity and freedom and things like that, that a lot of people don't have. And I can come, I don't even want to say I come across as with like masculine energy, but everyone who knows me knows I have big dick energy. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing. And so it definitely can cause conflict between mm -hmm. other masculine people and myself and like how they seek to diminish or demean me in my place. True. Even in polyamory, I like probably like probably almost expect, especially in polyamory, because there are people who are looking for subservient, mm -hmm. quiet wives to live their best life. And you're not going to get that shit with me. I'm also solo poly, so I'm not going to be your mm -hmm. wife. But like, also there's a lot of layers that come to my existence. And I imagine that, you know, born and raised in Kenya, coming to the U.S. like pretty much as an adult. So having your formative years spent there, and even though you spent probably longer living in the U.S. than you did in Kenya, that still plays a part in like how you interact and your views of masculinity oh. and that you've probably had to unlearn throughout this process. Yep, definitely. Because you being from Jamaica and me being from Kenya, you'd be surprised how many parallels we have. There's so much, it's interesting with the black diaspora is that there's so much that's parallels across the board. Even with me, it's, I'm not the most pristine cleaning person, but my mom used to put us through the paces. So there's certain things I look at and it's just, wait, why isn't this, why, how you live, you're a whole, there's certain things of managing life where there's certain levels of responsibility I learned younger, where I also come off as a jerk sometimes where I'm like, you're, you're 35. Why are you still not able to do? And sometimes I get called that because people have their own different isms. They'll toss out at you. If you're being elitist for thinking, I'm like, nah, you're a whole adult. If you put your nose to the grindstone, you can manage and sort this situation out. But yes, there, there's a lot of the stuff I had to unlearn because Africa is very patriarchal. So there's a lot of stuff you have to unlearn because out here it's, it's still patriarchal in America, but it's way less might weight less. So it's like women have way more. So yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot to unlearn in terms of how people relate, how, how women talk to you, how you talk to them and such. So there's stuff to unlearn. And even when I was in Kenya, I was still very open-minded. So a lot of stuff was not that hard for me to 
you know, absorb or relate to. And some of it were just plain hilarious because like when I was leaving Kenya, when I was younger is gay people were not that out. So they were very closeted. So what I had to feed on was a lot of stereotype stuff in the media and such. So I recall in college going to this table and there were these gay folks and lesbians and what, so there's so this gay dude. And then in my head, I'm like, dude, what happened to you? You're not that good looking and you're frumpy. Your clothes just look like, because there's that stereotype where in the media of like gay men are very well put together, super stylish and handsome. So that's when I had to, okay, yeah. And it's interesting because they're, quite different questions about masculinity or such, because it's very interesting is that rigid as a lot of, how can I say it, masculinity is in Africa, that there's also a lot of latitude when it comes to things which folks here are so superficial about, because in Africa, there's nothing wrong with two men, grown men walking, holding hands, or a dude can be sitting there and I can put my elbow on someone on a couch and we'd be chit-chatting and such, and it's not seen as a sexual thing, or sometimes grown adults will visit someone and two men can sleep in a bed together and it's not an issue. A lot of people equate a male being gay as being less than, and that doesn't sit well with me because I know gay people who are just as quote unquote alpha or masculine as straight men. And funny enough is that even women will toss that out because, you know, I enjoy having dialogue with people online, an exchange of opinions where we might not disagree, but we can learn from each other. But what I've learned over the years, a lot of people don't know how to dialogue. What they do is argue where, because we can exchange opinions here and there and still keep it civil. With a lot of folks, it turns into an argument because it's like, we can have dialogue about the whole who pays for a date or all that kind of stuff and keep it civil. Or with some folks that if you disprove their opinion with some women, they're like, yeah, you must be gay. That's why you're here arguing with women on the internet. So I'm like, how does that equate? And it's just. Yeah. I think in the U.S. all the time, I do see it in Jamaica a bit, not as much, but Jamaica is, you know, it's very much like a U.S. sneezes, Jamaica catches the flu kind of vibe. So there are a lot of things that we are exposed to, like just due to proximity to the United States. But I have seen that people just think that disagreeing is arguing. And I'm like, girl, we're just talking. I'm not arguing with you at all. <laughs> like an arc. And I, I feel as if any, I don't know if it's a very like American thing. It must be an American thing. Like, and I'm being mm -hmm. super like very much like hear about this like this must be an american trait because i don't understand it and it doesn't make sense to me i'm like we're just talking like in jamaica we can literally be screaming at each other like having our disagreement mm -hmm. and then it's like let's drink our rum yeah I, we're fine mm -hmm. there's no problems afterwards but here in the u.s especially on the internet i was having a conversation about a fandom that i'm a part of on their discord server and I said something, someone disagreed with it. I countered with a different point to support my idea. And they countered back then. They were like, oh, I don't want to argue. So let's just drop it. And I was like, we're not arguing. We're just discourse. This is just discourse. This is not an argument. And it's just, it's weird. It's very weird. That's yes. all I can say about it. I don't understand why we're not allowed to disagree with each other without it turning into a thing. And it's not just men. This is across all genders, like all <laughs> representations that I have seen. Ah. People do not believe that disagreement can just be disagreement and that we cannot discuss disagreement without it turning into an argument. This might sound kind of politically incorrect because it's, I've had exchanges with men online and I swear they were more emotional than women. I'm like, if someone thinks women are emotional, Try having a back and forth with someone who's a self-proclaimed alpha male and something. You will see so much emotion and folks, all the ad hominem attacks and you ain't got no hoes. That's why you think it's okay for women to do such and such. Yeah, it's a lot of that. There's a lot of toxic ideals that come with being a man or presenting as a man in the United States where we both live that we, we can talk about. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that definitely causes some problems in polyamory as well, especially like, I mean, you're black, I'm black. So we're talking about black people because I'm sorry, I don't date white men. I don't date white people. So it's not an issue for me, but like talking about blackness and masculinity, like there is so much tied into that, that I think 
culturally, I don't mm-hmm. understand because one, I'm a woman and two, I'm not American. And so I didn't, I wasn't raised with these experiences. I actually moved to America after college. So I was in my twenties already. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to go through the school system and I wasn't indoctrinated in the way that a lot of people are. So I don't know if there's anything that you're aware of that you can speak to as it relates to the presentation of masculinity in black polyamorous men. What I can offer is more of like observation because there'll always someone will pop up in your, in the, your comments like, he doesn't speak for us, he wasn't born here. So I can just speak on observation and experience because I also came here when I was old. So I didn't go through, you know, the formative, you know, part of the school system. So I think part of it is a lot of, I feel like a lot of black men raised in America do not have a lot of everyday, very healthy role models or something who are modeling that life. You know, I had my dad at uncles and this and this. So I saw practical and, you know, a lot of it was not good, but there was also a lot of good stuff. So, but what's happened here is that a lot of folks don't have that you know, everyday nitty gritty. So they have to build it. And a lot of this best based on caricatures. That's why one thing I don't like about a lot of masculinity in America, it's like one of those, what do you call those, those stand up cardboard figures when you go to the movies where they have. It, yeah. The cutouts. Yeah. 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 It's like a cutout. It, it basically, it has the perception, but it doesn't have the strength. They don't have a healthy starting point. I, in a lot of cases in practical ways where they can see it. And, and especially once you grow up in a single parent home and without those healthy male figures that unfortunately a lot of women overcompensate. So it leads to a lot of, a lot of men, I feel are not very emotionally resilient. And by me saying emotional resilient, I'm not saying that being hard, I mean, it's okay to be down, but then you get up, you know, like the, the Rocky speech where it's like, it doesn't matter how many times you hit, it matters how many times you get up. Cause there are a lot of men who I've known where it's just like, dude, every little obstacle in life, you're over here giving up. So I feel like that's an unfortunate thing with a lot of men. And you know, when you don't have it growing up, it's, it takes an extra step for you to do that self-work and realize that, Hey, you know what? I keep folding too much or, Hey, I'm too emotional and I don't manage my, you know, anger. Well, Oh yeah. I I think that's absolutely a part of it. I will counter one of the points as well, though. Not like a counter, but like an Mm -hmm. addition to that. One of the things that I have seen a lot of in relationships with women and their sons is also women treating their sons like they're their husband. Yep. And so there's, so it's not a sexual relationship, but you are emotionally laboring your child and treating him as an equal to you as your husband. And so as a result of that, that can kind of also skew his relationship with women. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just based on, this is just based on my observations. What I've seen, I'm not a man. I was not raised a man. I've definitely seen that because when there's that emotional incest going on is that that man, his mother will always have the number one space in your life. So you as a girlfriend, wife or such. You'll always come second. And then also sometimes when she has him in that role, some of them, what unfortunately is that they cater to their son so much, you know, my son, my king and such. So when Mm -hmm. they get out there, they're expecting that same energy from, because that's why there are a lot of men who are so comfortable moving into women's apartments and such and so, because that you're like a pseudo mother figure or something like that. Yeah. That's, there's like an expectation that you're supposed to care for me because you like me. Cause that's what my, that's what the women in my life do. And I also find that men don't have friends. They're not friends with other men. They're not taught to build those kind of intimate connections between men. And that's one thing that I will say that I am always wary of a man who doesn't have friends. And I'm not talking about women as friends. I'm talking about friends, period. Like you don't have, if something is wrong with you, you're having a shit day. There is not a single person that you can call to be like, Hey bro, my day was like really bad. Can we talk or can we meet up or something like that? And I'm wary of men who don't express those same feelings. Like to, to even if it's the women in their life, Hey, I have not had a good day. I need to talk this out. Is there some way to do that? There is no vault. There is this like rigid. They're not allowed to be vulnerable. And again, like I said, this is very cultural. Like even in Jamaica, of course, men don't necessarily like pal around with friends a certain way, but it's a very, there are different forms of intimacy that can be achieved with people in your life. So Mm -hmm. I find that in the U S the men that I have been exposed to 
when I was just out here talking to other people mm -hmm. is that they rely on the women in their lives for all of their emotional support, girlfriends, mothers, wives, whatever. And it's very much a, my wife has to take care of everything mm -hmm. emotionally for me because that is not something that I can do. And I don't know if that's a feature of what has happened due to the subjugation of black people in the US and white supremacy or any of those things. I can't say. I mm -hmm. don't know if it's that they were not allowed to build those connections or those relationships. I can only speak from the other side of what I have observed with the men who have tried mm -hmm. to approach me and have been a part of my life in a variety of ways since I moved to the US. It's very hard to find men who genuinely have friends that they can connect with and they're not just using women for emotional labor. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just, there's layers to it. Sadly, I, that's something I have to co-sign because even for me, like I tell folks, because I had an ex who really couldn't understand, because she's like, I noticed you don't have that many male friends, this and that. And I'm like, first of all, I came here when I was much older. So the thing I noticed with America, people are very cliquish. They have these relationships that they've had from when they were younger and such, and they carry them over years. And, you know, be, college is very transitional. You know, you're there for a couple of years and you know, folks go on with their lives. So that's like, I said, tell folks that for me, it's not that I don't want to have deep male friends, but just like a lot of the men I've encountered and I get to know is, and you know, I'm not saying you have to, you know, boo-hoo on my shoulder or something, but just like, we can only talk about sports and cars and sneakers and ho hoes and all that for so long. Cause I know people who've had friends for decades and I ask them, this other dude, do you know what worries him most or keeps him up at night? And they can't tell you. And that's why I tell folks that like, I've had acquaintances, like I have male friends where they're like, oh, you want to turn up? Let's go turn up and such. But people don't, I don't know. I, I keep telling, joking folks like, yeah, I need, a, I need some real bromance in my life. It is a challenge for us to make good, deep friendships. And especially with me being, having the, also the cultural difference. And then, and you know, like, in, I'm not trying to come off as better than, but it's just like, if you're into a whole bunch of fuck shit some of the time, and we're like a lot of people just like, we really can't get along. It's because I've been in some men's circles and people are over there. They have all this BS to talk about women complaints and some of it is valid. I'll agree, but I'm not seeing folks taking any accountability for their actions or any form of change. Okay. You're, you're complaining about three baby mamas, but guess what? You're the one who chose to get three baby mamas. So what are you doing to address that situation so that, you know, you make it smoother for yourself? So yeah, one thing that's big for me even with is just folks are self-aware and it's just, if you're trying to be a better person, and like I said, I'm not perfect. I fuck up all the time, but as long as you're making some progress, heck, you know, and you're honest, we, we can get along, but you know, that's how it is sometimes trying to make new friends. Yeah. And like you mentioned accountability, but it's also like, how do you hold the men accountable in this current world, this environment, right? Like when your friend is fucking up or someone that you are social with is fucking up, like how do you hold them accountable for the things that they have done? There are people that, I mean, and this is across the board, right? You know, with women, we have different issues, but we have these issues as well, where holding people accountable is, is a thing, but there are men who I no longer associate with because holding them accountable is just like something that they can't even fathom. Mm -hmm. Like me saying like, Hey, you, what you did was fucked up. Like there's doing that. I mean, it's not an indictment on you as a person, but that was fucked up. And it turns into this whole thing about bitches and they should have known better than to, to trust me and all these things. And it's like, I'm not trying to attack you. Mm -hmm. I'm stating an empirical statement, like this is fucked up. There are ways you could have handled this that were better. And it could be something as minor as like, Hey, I cheated on my girlfriend this time and she's mad at me or something major, like, you know, essay and other forms of abuse. Mm -hmm. Like how do you hold the men in your lives accountable. I mean, especially as a black man where, you know, it's very much like a, it's a boys club in a sense where, you know, y'all just kind of sit there and snicker yeah. with each other yeah. and don't talk about anything serious. Like you've just said, you don't have these serious relationships. Like how do you hold these men accountable? So the, the thing with, I feel like sometimes that whole phrase, you know, men should hold other men accountable as such. Sometimes it's, it sounds great in theory. 
but the implementation gets so much more complicated because one big thing with accountability is that there has to be some form of social contract. So for example, like I can hold my biological brother accountable because guess what? We're in the same family, your actions affect me, mine affect yours. So we're in this together. We're meant to make things go smoothly. Or if men are together on a football team, yeah, you need to be coming for practice and doing right because you made this agreement with us. Or if you're frat brothers, you know, a lot of times they can hold themselves accountable in certain things that relate to the frat. But it gets a bit, a bit more prick, prickly when you're just friends because I can bring it to your attention. Where it's just like, you know what, I've seen, you know, your girlfriend out here, you know, struggling, uh, you know, with your kid and such, are you going to try and just address that situation or such? So you see, I can bring, you know, it to his attention, but now you see, since we don't have a social agreement, I really can't hold him accountable. You know, if he was my brother-in-law, then I can hold him accountable. Like, dude, you married my sister, this and this. So that's where it gets tricky, you know, because I was in a men's circle the other day and dudes get fast and loose and all that kind of stuff. So this dude posts a screenshot from, uh, you know, from a dating site he was on. So this dude was basically one of those nice guys trademark where, you know, so this is a cute chick and all that, but you know, single mother of three or four or something. Then he posts like, yeah, sometimes you have to be blunt with women where like they matched. And his first message to her was, you know, if you had a given dude like me a chance, you wouldn't be out here struggling with these three or four kids or yeah. So I commented, you know what, dude, this was, this was too much. Cause I was like, I would have understood if she came at you sideways, be like, yeah, if you're a real man, you should have pulled up and to, you know, handle my family or stuff. And then if you gave something that sounded rude in return, now that I'm justifying, you know, the demonizing folk situation, I would understand that, but this was totally un, unprompted or all that kind of stuff. You just decided, yeah, I'm just, you know, we matched, so I'm going to come shooting both barrels. So yeah, so basically it became a back and forth and he didn't want to see the where he was wrong. So basically I ended up being accused of simping and all that kind of stuff. I basically told, hey, you have incel energy, this, that, and the third, blah, blah, blah. So it became such a big back and forth and he was going on me in all sorts of personal ways. Where I was like, damn. And then it's also kind of funny because, you know, on a side note with all those insults I was being called is that when you, you say you like women, but all the insults you're using towards me are all in regards to me being feminine or a woman or all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe it's your time of the month. So just like, but you know, as we both know, a lot of men don't like women, but still want to date and be with women, but don't like women. But yeah. Yeah. So anyway, at the end of the, the thing, the admin comes to, I'm the one who gets told off. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be shaming people, this, that, and the third, blah, 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 this, that. And so I'm the one who got shit on for actually calling out a dude for acting shittily. Sorry, pause. Did you say you shouldn't be shaming people? So you shouldn't shame people who attack women unprovoked? Unfortunately, that's what it looks like. People wonder why all the women talk about being lesbians nowadays and they're done with men. People wonder. This is proof, guys. This is proof for anyone who needs to feel justified in just giving up on men. Just saying. It's never, hard out here for a pimp. I'd never come in and say we're not all men because guess what? A lot of dudes just don't try and be the best version of themselves that we can be because that takes work and accountability. So if patriarchy lets you slide around life by being, being a bum, people are going to do it. So yeah, so that's the unfortunate thing. So like I said, accountability is great and all that kind of stuff. It, you know, the concept sounds great. And I'm not saying we should not bring attention to people's behave, bad behavior. I can do it, but in terms of holding accountable, unless you have that social contract, there's not too much. So like, if I see someone being shitty to a woman, I'll say, yeah, I'll point out, I'll be like, bro, you shouldn't be talking to her like that or bro, you know, stop her running up on this chick like this, but I can do that, but I really can't do much more than that. Yeah, no. And then my question now comes for like for poly spaces, right? Because polyamory and non-monogamy seems to be able to, in general, not specifically black poly or black non-monogamy, mm -hmm. seems to be able, it's easy for people who don't have the best intentions to hide 
in this space in particular, I will say. And we could call some names of notable white folks who have done, mm-hmm. you know, toxic things and harmful things. And there's a couple of black people as well. There was one very popular one who was friends with someone super famous on the internet. Turned out that he was a horrible person, turned into a whole thing. But it's so interesting that he was able to hide in this space for so long because this is not someone just came in and did something shitty and it came out very quickly it was years and years of him using the non-monogamous space to hide his dirty deeds so like what is the step forward there is there a step forward there that we can see coming from that popularity unfortunately lets people get away with a lot and because you know we've been in similar spaces where it's just like we all know this person is problematic but if you bring it up, just like my prior time, you're the problematic one or you're the one who's... So it gets so iffy in those spaces where I don't even know how to how really to navigate. I mean, I, you could bring attention to it, but... And then especially the worst thing with some of these things is, you know, even be men or women is some things just don't have black or white, where it's just like, you know, if someone scammed me, you know, I can say, hey, I can bring receipts. I sent you this and this. But if someone was emotionally abusive to me, that's very hard to prove. Do I have recordings of this conversation? Or even if I gave people text, is that everyone can read something different from a text? Yeah, that's one of the worst things is that a lot of the harmful behavior that happens in, you know, even regular monogamous circles carries over and there's not much accountability or just gets swept under the carpet. And for both, unfortunately for both men and women, the only thing I can say is that people sometimes just need to be curate their spaces very carefully or vet Mm -hmm. who they allow in their spaces. In an ideal world that should not have to happen, people should know how to act. People should know the meaning of consent, but unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like discernment, how to curate spaces. And again, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be surrounded by people who are willing to do us harm or trying to do us harm, but this is where we are. And that kind of, you know, it's a hard conversation. So let me just kind of segue into something a bit lighter. So Dennis, can I spank you? Well, that episode kind of ended on a cliffhanger, didn't it? Um, Dennis can be found on Facebook. I will put the link to where you can find him in the detailed show notes, of course, available on monogamishpod.com. Don't forget to tune in next week for the last 20 or so minutes, I will say, of the interview with Dennis. I cut out some stuff that y'all definitely don't need to be hearing because it does get a little bit weird. (laughs) But without further ado, let me tell you about where you can find Monogamish Pod. Z Podcast, pink logo, my beautiful face on it. Y'all will know it when you see it. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Monogamish Pod. Twitter, at Monogamish Pod. Instagram, at Monogamish Pod. Um, on YouTube, just search Monogamish Pod and you can watch the video of the conversation with Dennis and I and also just of me speaking to you, the Eva, in different clothes, obviously, because I record the intros and outros separately sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you can also find us on TikTok. I don't always post on there, but sometimes I do. And sometimes I repost some things from other non-monogamous and polyamorous creators I think are very interesting. So check me out on the clock app on the ticky talky um i am also trying to post more reels now on instagram so shout out to me i did a partnership with hashtag open because that is the app that i'm using right now to be out here in these dating streets it's, it's going you know it's going fairly well so far so don't forget to check that out uh, you can check it out on the reels also the Pod newsletter is coming april 30th have you subscribed yet monogamishpod.substack.com you should definitely check that out you can also support the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash pod for as little as $3 a month. You get bonus content, including blog posts, episodes, the whole thing. You're probably wondering, well, if you have a Patreon, why are you doing a newsletter? Um, the newsletter is just about the podcast and catching up on what's happening in the previous month on the podcast and in non-monogamy and polyamory media and news. So just to let you know, if you may be a little behind, you're like, oh crap, I missed where Jen was on other people's podcasts this month. Don't worry, the newsletter will tell you. Just saying, just saying. Put that out there. You can also buy a Monogamish Pod merch at monogamishpod.redless.com. You can wear cute little sweaters 
and shirts and it is summer now actually so forget the sweaters muscle tees tank tops v-necks the whole shebang that's on monogamishpod.threadless.com or when you're on the monogamishpod.com site you can just press the shop button and it will take you directly there what else do i have to tell you twitter instagram facebook tiktok youtube oh right spotify does ratings now so you can rate us on spotify i appreciate five stars but rate with your heart your heart will also say five stars so just listen to it trust me you can also rate and review on a pod chaser and on apple podcasts just saying there are a lot of options out there to tell people how much you love the pod and love the show and next week i'll also be giving an update on podcast and you may have seen it mentioned on the monogamous pod page but next week there'll definitely be a huge podcast update and wait did i mention that next week i'm doing part two and then the week after i have an interview airing with marjani lane <laughs> it's gonna be busy it's gonna be busy the next couple of weeks in the monogamous pod land can't wait for y'all to hear it it's possibly because i might be going on another hiatus again but it won't be like by choice i just there's 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 work things we'll talk more next week we'll talk more next week so in case i've forgotten anything it'll be in the detail show notes on the website once again i'm jen this is monogamish pod catch you next week so you can hear the answer to me asking dennis um can i spank you (laughs) i'll catch you next time xoxo bye all